a Pharisee, a tax collector, a parable. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible, Glitter and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. Thank you for joining us in another episode of Bible, Glitter and Glue. We wonder where you are right now listening to this podcast. David and I often are curious, are you in your car or are you walking fixing dinner, wherever you are. We're just so glad that you've taken the time to listen. Maybe this will help you just with your own Bible study, or maybe you're teaching a Bible class this week. So if you are, here's hoping this will help. Hey, Mary, let's talk about one of Jesus's parables, but a lesser known parable, but it still has a powerful message. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, And Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Well, how about we read this one, since it's not so known. Okay. I'll start out. There were some people who thought that they were very good and looked down on everyone else. Jesus used this story to teach them. One day there was a Pharisee and a tax collector, both went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood alone, away from the tax collector. When the Pharisee prayed, he said, God, I thank you that I am not as bad as other people. I am not like men who steal, cheat, or take part in adultery. I thank you that I am better than this tax collector. I give up eating twice a week. And I give one-tenth of everything I earn. The tax collector stood at a distance. When he prayed, he would not even look up to heaven. He beat on his chest because he was so sad. He said, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I tell you, when this man went home, he was right with God. But the Pharisee was not right with God. Everyone who makes himself great will be made humble. But everyone who makes himself humble will be made great. Wow, it's a brief parable, but it has a very powerful, very relevant message. It really does. I like this one especially, David. We were talking earlier how... The first couple of verses opens up and lays out this method that Jesus is using. It's it's not like he had planned his sermons for a long time and he was going to just give this message. He actually was noticing the audience, noticing what they were thinking and doing. And from that, he told this parable. And that's the kind of teacher I want to be, being able to really Note my audience and think about what they have on their minds. What are they worried about? What are they concerned about? What do they have a problem with? And that's how I put together what I'm going to say. I love that perspective of Jesus. You mentioned Jesus read his audience. Mm -hmm. 
when he used two characters in the story, he used two characters that would resonate with his audience. And when he said a Pharisee and a tax collector, the audience would have reacted emotionally to both of these because of who they represented. And because of their familiarity, he didn't have to explain who a Pharisee was. They knew. He didn't have to explain who a tax collector was. The audience knows But maybe we don't so much. These are not things that we talk about so much today. Well, Pharisee is a member of one of the sects of the Jews. There are several sects. The Pharisees were probably the most well-known. There were the Sadducees, and both of these are mentioned in the Bible. There was another well-known sect, the Essenes, that were not mentioned in the Bible, but they were around. And the Pharisees probably had their origins 150 to 200 years before the time of Jesus. To them, following the law was so important, and they were very strict about the law and about their interpretations of the law, and some of their interpretations seems somewhat odd to us, but they felt that was very important in order to be faithful to God, to be a good person, and so they were very scrupulous or very strict about following the law. They were popular, actually, among the people. They did not have any formal political power, but they had a lot of influence. They were sort of a pressure group in Israel at that time. So the polar opposite, really, is a tax collector. They weren't concerned with the law of Moses. They weren't so concerned with that. They had a very practical job, and they, in a way, answered to other people rather than the Jews. Well, tax collectors were considered traitors by the Jewish people because they worked for the hated enemy, which was Rome, collected taxes on their behalf. And so when Jesus said Pharisee, the audience would have reacted positively to that, warmly. Yeah, Pharisee, that's kind of the model person. And then when Jesus said tax collector, I'm sure there was a shiver that went through the audience like, oh, you know, he's, he's the most unlikable person around. Well, that's right. And yet he was still a Jew. He had the right to go to the temple. Both of these characters in Jesus's parable went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee would be seen as a model person. He was morally upright. He was very religious. He was very serious about it. And on the other hand, the tax collector was a social outcast. He was immoral because the tax collector had the reputation of basically being thieves and extortionists. And perhaps the tax collector would not be as religious as the Pharisee. And yet, these were both Jews. Both of these were entitled to go to the temple to pray. And so that's how Jesus sets this parable up. These two kind of opposite characters, they both meet together or at least they both go together to the temple. The Pharisee is going to the temple, and it seems like he has not God on his mind. It almost appears to me he has one thing on his mind, and that's himself. I love when you read that, David, how you emphasized how many times the word I is used when the Pharisee is addressing God. He's not talking about God at all. I did this. I did that. I'm this. It's sort of like he's saying to God, you are so lucky to have me on your (laughs) side. I wonder if God was impressed. (laughs) I 
don't really think so. I think that's the whole point of the parable. He stands apart, it says, because he didn't want to get too close to the tax collector. He didn't want to be tainted or whatever. He stood aloof, if you were. He stood away from the tax collector and... And he just kept talking about all the good things that he has done and how good he is. But if you notice, it's because of what he doesn't do is what makes him good. He doesn't steal like this tax collector. He doesn't cheat like this tax collector or take part in adultery. Again, maybe he's pointing the finger at the tax collector, but he says, I'm better than the tax collector. Because what he doesn't do and because what he does do, he, he doesn't just fast once a week. He fasts twice a week. He's very faithful in his tithing, giving to God. He just thought he was just God's best friend. Well, it's interesting. There is this idea of feeling good about something you've done, knowing that you've done the right thing, and just feeling a personal pride. Not over much, but just feeling good, confident. That's a good thing. But it's it's as if he has crossed this line and it's past just quietly feeling satisfied to he's building this character of himself up bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm getting the idea he's praying almost with one eye open because he's... Yes, says he's talking to God, but it's as if he is looking at that tax collector while he's praying because he's saying these things, but like the tax collector, like him, I'm good, not like him. It's as if he's sort of doing God's job of judgment for him. That's a good point, and that's a good thing to note about the difference between pride and having a sense of self-confidence. Pride, as Jesus is using it here, is it comes about when you're comparing yourself to others. It's not just feeling good about a job you've done and feeling confident, satisfied about that. But when you look at others, begin to compare yourself and, you know, others are sinking lower and lower and you're elevating and puffing yourself up higher and higher. That's the pride Jesus is talking about. Well, I think the key to humility before God is comparing ourselves to God when we come to God in prayer. We're thinking of God and all He is and all He's done and the good and power that He is. And so when I'm talking about myself to God, that immediately puts me in my place. No no matter what I do that is good, it's never going to compare to God. And so as long as we are comparing ourselves to God and being grateful and humble, all of those things, that's the proper place to be. But that's not where this Pharisee was. He was not comparing himself to God. His problem was he was comparing himself, like you said, to that tax collector. That's right. And the tax collector doesn't compare himself to the Pharisee. It's as if he doesn't even know he's there. He's off to himself, aside, just trying to not be seen, really, by anyone but God. Right. He was standing at a distance. That's where he felt like he was. He was far from God. He wasn't close like the Pharisee was. His demeanor or posture and his words were really the opposite of the Pharisee. It says he doesn't even look up to heaven. He couldn't even bring himself to look up to God. He was just feeling within himself his own humility, and he knew who he was. He knew where he was in relation to God and other people. He was not overstepping. 
Yeah. I think in that time, it was common for you to lift up your hands and look up when you pray to God. And the tax collector is looking down. And his gesture, it's really unusual, not something we hear today, but it says he beat his chest. I don't know, a gesture of I'm nothing is emphasizing his points as he's talking. He is humble in his heart. He's humble in his gestures. Everything about this man is that he is there to put himself out right before God and letting God see every part of him. All he could say was, be merciful to me, the sinner. Because in the original language, it has the in there. He wasn't thinking about anybody else but himself and his relation to God. And he actually becomes the model that Jesus wants us to follow. So Jesus concludes this parable by explaining it, by applying it, making sure that his audience understands what the parable means. Jesus explains that when each of these leave, one of them is right with God and one of them is not right with God. Each has gone to the temple to pray, to talk to God, but they come away. One of them has had that talk, and one of them has not. One of them has been touched by God. One of them has not. One of them has been so full of himself, he has no room for God whereas the tax collector actually emptied himself before God, and God has filled him up. When Jesus' audience heard this parable, they would have been challenged because for sure it would have been the Pharisee who was the one to follow. But Jesus turns it upside down. It's the tax collector. The audience, when they left, they would have been thinking about this over and over again because this was just not the way they saw things. And in a world where, like the Pharisees were great and lifted up, tax collectors were not. But here is God and God's greatness. God makes the tax collector great and the Pharisee not. The parable or the section of Scripture begins and ends with a contrast between pride and humility. And the Pharisee represented a man full of pride, and the tax collector represented a man that had great humility toward God. That's the person that we should be like. Jesus is not saying follow in the footsteps of the tax collector and what he does, but look at his heart. Be merciful to me, the sinner. So he was the one who left being in the right, being with God, being the one that God commends. You know, if we look at our life, we have a tendency to compare ourselves with others. That's just a human tendency. If we're not careful, we can begin to think we're better than others. I can begin to think I'm better than others and begin looking down on others and comparing myself to others. But, you know, if we're going to compare ourselves to someone, we should compare ourselves to God. We'll never come out on top there. I think there's also an unspoken thing here that... God sees everything. So this idea of them going and talking to God, that's between them and God. That is a holy place. They're going to the temple, but in the same way, David, I'm thinking about myself. When I pray, 
I'm actually, the scripture says, going into the throne room and addressing the king. I would be ridiculous in a way to try to make myself sound so good in front of the king, in front of God. There's just no point because no matter what I say, I would never be a king. I'd never be him. So throwing myself at the footsteps of God, asking for mercy is the right posture. I'm talking to God. I can tell him anything. And I love that about prayer. I can I can lay everything bare. It's there's no fooling God. Other people don't hear this. It's just between me and God. And so I want to tell him everything. I want to talk to him about my weaknesses and my faults. I need to do that because I can. I can trust him and All of these things we do when we come before God, and and we need His mercy. We need His help. This beautiful place of prayer should never be interrupted by bragging about myself. There's just no place for that. No need. It's not going to impress God. So here's this chance to just be real, be genuine when I pray. As we come to the, uh, the end of the parable, I think Jesus emphasizes the point in the last thing he says, whoever makes himself great will be made humble, but everyone who makes himself humble will be made great. Either we have a heart full of pride or a heart of humility. The Bible says a lot about pride and humility. Going back to the book of Proverbs, and then Proverbs 16 verse 18 says, pride leads to destruction. A proud attitude brings ruin. And then one more in Proverbs 29, verse 23. A man's pride will ruin him, but a person who is humble will be honored. And then we come to the New Testament, and Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3 and 4, When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. I think those are good text and illustrations of the point Jesus was making in telling this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I think also, David, of James chapter 4, verse 10. And to me, this is saying exactly what this parable is saying, because it's God who's lifting up the humble. And so in James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will honor you. Humility is something that you can't ever say you've succeeded at. (laughs) As soon as you say, I'm the most humble person, you're not. As soon as you say, I've got a grasp on humility, you probably don't. And And to pray to God, to say, please make me humble, now there's a scary thought, because that humility is just a little bit scary. It's vulnerable. And I think all of us, I know myself, I can fall into this trap of pride, and maybe it's things that we take for granted. I've been given so much in my life, and 
I think often that I was born to parents who loved each other, who were married, who they weren't wealthy, but they were able to provide. But I'm no better than a child that was born into an impoverished family or people who are very disadvantaged in this world. God is not rewarding us in these circumstances and holding back from others. Whether we have blessings or difficulties, we all come to God the same. I'm no better or worse than anyone else. And and as soon as I start thinking that, it's a dangerous place to be. So this lesson is for me, this lesson on humility. It's something I want to always strive for. And I want children to understand this lesson. I guess some people think children must be humble because they're so small and they don't have power in this world. But whatever they have, it's easy to fall into the same trap. Um, Children understand what it means to brag about yourself. That is a problem with children, whether it's with their siblings, children at school. They can fall into the same trap. I think this lesson is for adults and it's for children. Right. So, Mary... How would you help children understand this parable? Well, of course, I would just define what humility is, because it's not maybe a word we use a lot. We tend to use the negative side of it. We talk about the bragging, so it wouldn't take long to think of examples to use with children. And I, being a teacher, I would probably act those examples out. I'd ask the children to listen and raise their hand if they hear me being too proud. So maybe I would start by saying, oh, I have this new scarf. My mom gave it to me. I really like it. My mom is so good to give me this scarf. Actually, this scarf is so good. I think it's better than my friend's scarf. Oh, her scarf is ugly, but mine is really pretty. I love my scarf. You can hear as I'm talking through that, there's a turning point where it changes from just being grateful, humble, to being proud, and then comparing. So just a few examples like that would be really helpful in a Bible class. There's a great video online. It doesn't have words. It's just characters, animated characters acting out this story. I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's really helpful. It's on YouTube, so it's free. There's one fun activity that I've done before. I take a balloon, and I blow it up, but I don't tie it off. And then I start saying bragging words. And so I'll say, oh, I'm so pretty. And then I blow air into this balloon. And I say, oh, my house is better than your house. And I blow some more hot air into this balloon and the kids start joining in and they start thinking of ways that people brag. And so we just keep blowing it up and the tension in the room rises. It's like how much hot air can go into this balloon. And of course, eventually this thing pops and it's just a discussion on bragging and how that leads to bad places. It hurts when we brag. So that's one. There are quite a few really good activities for this one. I've got some on my website, missionbibleclass.org, so have a look at that. But what about for adults, David? My teaching tip today requires a word study. And there's a 
very good online tool for this. It's called a concordance, and I'll provide the link to this online tool in the show notes. And then just type in the word pride, and then we'll, a list of all the words of pride in the Bible will come up. So just do a, a word search on pride and just go to the book of Proverbs, and you can type in the word pride and similar words like haughtiness or proud, and just note all the verses and note what these things are saying about pride. And then you can do the same thing with the word humility or humble and lowly. Look up these words and just stay in the book of Proverbs. Just write down what these verses say about humility and compare the two. And you can discuss in the class the fruit of pride and the fruit or the blessing of humility. You can discuss the question, what kind of world would you rather live in? One full of selfish, proud people or a world full of humble people? And why would you want to live in that world? And then you can follow up with another question and you can lead the discussion. Why is having pride of heart a bad thing? How does it affect our relationship to God? How does it affect our relationship with others? And how does it affect our relationship with the world we live in? And try to tease out of the class what pride and humility leads to and produces in these different areas. And so that's my teaching tip for today. I love a good word study. Once again, Jesus shows how he teaches. He thinks about our needs and what's on our mind, and he provides. In this case was an audience that was full of pride, and he, in a simple story, was able to bring this point directly to their hearts. I love that about Jesus. And, and David, that's the kind of teachers I know that we want to be. That's why we're doing this podcast. I hope that this parable of Jesus touches your heart so that you can now go and touch the heart of those that you teach. And may God bless you as you speak into the lives of adults and children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's word with children.